thank you so much for being here this morning. If we have not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Izzy. I get to serve as one of the pastors on staff here. I say one of the pastors on staff. There's only two of us, so it's <laughs> like, yeah, man, they got a huge team. No, not really. Uh, we got a lot of great people, though, and that makes these things incredible. This this morning, what we're doing, if, if you're on our email list, if you're not, go ahead and sign a Connect card on your way out. Uh, we let you know that we are starting an eight-week series in the book of Galatians. It is a phenomenal read. If you've not had a chance to read it, go do that. Uh, it's not, don't do it right now, but we'd encourage you to, to go ahead and read uh, Galatians. It's an, it's an incredible letter that, that Paul pins uh, to the church at Galatia, and it is a doozy. Uh, he, he comes in swinging like no hold bar, like he's just going for it in on these people. Uh, and before I kind of even get into that, just kind of know that that's where we're headed for the next eight weeks. Uh, we're going to be walking our church through this. We have some friends that are going to come be uh, speaking for us in, in the next couple of weeks as well. It's going to be a great time. But this morning, where we're camping out is Galatians chapter 1. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and do that. I'm, I'm going to get there in a little bit. I'm going to set us up for, for what we're heading to. But just, just kind of put your little, your little marker in there, Galatians chapter 1. We'll come back to it in a little bit. But I kind of want to give us a background and really ask us a question uh, to get things going, maybe build some tension in your mind, maybe get your, your, your mind thinking a little bit. But the question is this. Have you ever done something you, would, you wouldn't use usually do to be accepted within a community? Have you ever done something that you probably normally wouldn't do to be accepted within a community, specifically a Christian community? Now, I'm going to offend a lot of people here probably this morning, because <laughs> uh, some, some of you, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, you can email me at ryan at accdowntown.com, uh, and I'll be sure to, to not get back with you. Uh, but, 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 but ask yourself this question, have I ever done anything that I probably wouldn't do out of the ordinary to be accepted within a community, specifically a Christian community. For some, this is as simple or as innocent as uh, I, grew, I did college ministry for about 10 years, and so I, I've kind of seen all the trends that happen. For, so for some of us in this room, uh, this looks like you wearing chacos and looking like you're going camping all the time, even though your North Face gear or Patagonia has never seen the outdoors. Let's be real. Like, <laughs> like it's like, man, that thing looks brand new. Like, you have not ever taken that camping. And, and this is kind of something you've, you've taken on the customs or the traditions of this group that you belong to. I used to do collegiate ministry, and I would always joke with my fellow collegiate ministers, like, you could tell who belongs to what group just by how they dress. You can never tell the BSM kids because they were just kind of like, we're all misfits. Like, we don't fit. We don't belong. Like, you're just like, what? Are, are, you, are you Christian? Uh, kind of. I don't know. Uh, I'm figuring it out, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so you kind of take on the traditions or the customs of the group that you're a part of us or you're part of. But for some, this involves a, a really like a deeper issue or a deeper kind of thing. Involved a deep, deep misunderstanding of belief. For some in this room, maybe you grew up in a, and I'm, I, this isn't to, to dog any kind of religious tradition or anything, but maybe you grew up in a, a tradition that said, hey, you have to speak in tongues in order to really belong here. Or you have to give this certain amount to truly be a part of a community. Uh, I was having dinner with uh, some family friends this, this past week, and they said that they knew of a church that you had to submit your tax records uh, so that you could prove that you were giving a certain amount of your income to be a part of the community. And for some people, this is what this looks like, like to be a part of 
a community, to be a part of the family of God, there are some, some things that you have to do, some, things, some, some customs that you have to take on. And maybe you haven't done anything like this, but the issue can be significant if issues like salvation or heaven are at stake. If you grew up or think of this, this is, this is what it ties to, this is what it means to truly belong to the family of God, then it has some significant ramifications for belief and practice, which leads us in why we come to the book of Galatians. It's why we're studying this, this, this book for the next eight weeks, because what we believe truly matters, specifically when it comes to the gospel of Jesus and, and the teachings of who he is. Now, let me, let me give you some background as to, to what's happening in this book. Uh, this, this week one of any kind of series is always hard because you have to like lay out what's happening in the past, like how it ties to, to the future or, or to the now, and then how we use it going forward. But it's important for our understanding this morning that we dive in. And so, so know this, that Galatians is one of the earliest books penned in the New Testament. It comes from the hands of the Apostle Paul. Now, if you're new to Christianity or maybe need a refresher on who this man is, there are a few things that we need to know. Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, as, as some know him in Scripture, the, the name's interchangeable. You're like, oh, when he became a follower of Jesus, his name changed. That's not actually true. His name was always Saul. They just, like, the Greek changed it kind of how, like, oh, this is how we refer to you. And it's like, and some people know me as Israel. That's my, my government name. Some people know me as Izzy. Like, and, and, like nothing changed. Like, I, I am who I am. Like, I'm, I'm too old to change. Uh, but, but there wasn't, like, a significant change. And so, so just know that. Like, in Scripture, you'll see Saul of Tarsus. Sometimes you'll see Paul, same person. Same thing. It's not like, oh, this is his new conversion name. That's, that's not how this works, but, but just kind of track with me in that. So we know that this man, he, he was a prominent Jew. He was well-trained, well-educated, studied under the, the most prominent rabbis, Rabbi Gamaliel. He was from a great city, and he was a well-known persecutor of the followers of Jesus. Now, the, you're like, wait, Saul, this guy, Paul, like really? Yeah, this, this is who he was pre-knowing who Jesus was. He was a devout Jew, so much so that he hated anything and everyone that opposed his religious upbringing. He sat on the Sanhedrin council that gave the proverbial thumbs up to the persecution of Christians, even the likes of Stephen, the, 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 the disciple that we see in Acts chapter 7. So this guy was, was a high-standing religious figure that hated and opposed everything, everything that, that had to do with Jesus of Nazareth. From, from a young age, Paul or Saul of Tarsus was, was, was taught the ways of the Torah. He understood the law like no one else. He was zealous for this cause. Then one day, this man, this man that we have just heard about, is on his way to persecute Christians when all of a sudden he is blinded, falls to his knees, and hears the voice of Jesus call out to him and say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has this incredible encounter with Jesus and believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and just like that, changes teams. This, this man that was once persecuting Christians, giving the thumbs up to, to the assassination of the disciples, he is now on team 
Jesus, in, in the Spark Notes version of this, you can read it in, 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 in Acts, but, but he is going from persecuting Christians to the, the very next like few days going to preach Jesus in the synagogues, that Jesus is the Messiah. With the same missionary fervor that he used to, to kind of use to spread his cause, he is now explaining the gospel of Christ. We see then it's in Acts chapter 9, verse 20, verses 20 through 23, it says this, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he indeed is the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among the Jesus followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. So this man has everything to lose now. This man who was once this religious elite, this, this man that was once a follower of, of his ways and contrary to the way of Jesus, he's now essentially being plotted against to have his head handed to officials. He was passionate about the gospel and for people to know that Jesus was the Savior. But many people did not like it. As you can see, many tried to have him killed. But what does Paul do? Paul goes about planting churches and sharing the love of Jesus with anyone who would listen to him with the same zeal he always had, minus the persecution. He just changed teams. So it's with this passion that Paul writes about the gospel of Jesus and devotes his life to missionary journeys, to church planting, and proclaiming that we as followers of Jesus are saved by grace through Jesus the Messiah. Now we get to the book of Galatians, where Paul has already established a church founded on the firm foundation of the true gospel. Yet what happens is that in his absence, things have started to take a turn for the worse. False teachers have infiltrated the church at Galatia. They have brought in their beliefs, and the church has gone off the rails as they've been persuaded of some really things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus. What you'll end up hearing later on in the series, and even as we dive in a little bit deeper here in a minute, is that they started on to take the customs of old. That these false teachers had brought in these things and saying, hey, yes, you believe in Jesus and that's good, but you need to be circumcised. Or uh, there has to be kosher eating again, that, that you can't really uh, eat with non, non-believers. And so Paul is writing from this place. You see, the Jesus movement brought together ethnic Jews who had kept their law, kept the law the entire, their entire lives, and also Gentiles who had no affiliation either ethnically or religiously. And in this Jesus movement, they received the gospel and believed Jesus as the Messiah. 
So you had people who had been following the customs of, of the Torah and Old Testament law their entire lives, and they are now followers of Jesus. And then you have those that are Gentiles that are like, hey, I had nothing to do with this. I have no idea, but I do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they're all kind of kind of partying together, kind of loving, uh, loving life and, and serving together, doing all these things. And then it's in this where, where things start to go south as the message spreads. There were just as many non-Jewish followers of Jesus as those who were Messianic, meaning they followed the customs and rituals. And this is, again, where things start to go south. The Jewish elite demanded that even though the Gentiles had come to faith in Jesus, they needed to follow the law of Moses. For males, again, I said this a while ago, it included things like circumcision or kosher eating and table fellowship. These new believers weren't allowed to associate with people outside of of their, their religious community. They had this idea that, okay, yeah, sure, you have the gospel of Jesus, uh, but it's really about the law. We're just going to kind of sprinkle Jesus into the mix. They started to do this, and then they started to challenge Paul's apostleship. Well, you know, he came in here, he planted this church, he did this thing, but did he really hear from Jesus? Is his gospel truly the gospel? They start, he started to cast doubt and they started to cast doubt about the apostle Paul, about his credibility, about what he was actually teaching. They challenged his claims of, of his apostleship. Why? Here's the real reason. So that they would continue their favorable position within the political climate at the time. You see, so, so long as they didn't ruffle any feathers, they were kind of safe from some opposition. They loved the status that they had. And so, so, so as long as, as we kind of keep things kosher, so long as we keep things as they've always been, we don't have to worry about upsetting the political powers that be, and we can kind of live in peace. And so they started infiltrating these churches with, with false doctrine and teaching. These false teachers, love, they love their status within the community. And a movement that didn't practice the law threatened their well-being. So they practiced the law to gain favor with God, but it was really about appeasing the powers in the community. The false teachers claim Jesus, but then as they gain the community's trust, spew false teaching and question Paul's character, motives, and authority as an apostle of Jesus. These false teachers had the right language, knew the ins and outs of religious rituals, were well-educated, but began to cast doubt among the community as it pertains to Paul's lawless gospel. And guess what? For a lot of people, they successfully fooled the people, and Paul caught wind of what was happening they're referred to as the Judaizers, essentially said, to be a part of the Christian church, you got to follow the law of Moses. It's Jesus and Moses. This leads us to the writing of the book of Galatians. Now, Paul starts with a very stern kind of introduction in this letter. He, 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 in verses 1 through 5, he kind of goes briefly into, oh, you got it up? Dang, Kristen's ready. Let's give it a hand for Kristen. She's just like on, on it. <laughs> she hates me right now for doing that. It's okay. Uh, 
But he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he goes straight in in verse 6. Read along with me. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So even while Paul is in prison, again, he's writing this letter from prison, Definitely not trying to please people if you're in prison for preaching the gospel. Just saying. <laughs> it's come, something's a little backwards here. Paul is angry and is writing this letter to the Galatian church to remind him of his authority as an apostle of Jesus and what the true gospel and what freedom in Christ looks like. In the first few verses, Paul sets the stage reminding the people of his status. He is an apostle. He isn't called by men, but he's called by Jesus the Messiah himself. Again, we read that in Acts chapter 9. He's laying the framework for a reminder of the true gospel from the jump when he explains this, that, that he's been called by him who raised him from the dead, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He's laying out the gospel from the jump. This is correct, right, and true belief. Now, this sounds like Paul is arrogant, but the false teachers have challenged his authority as an apostle, a messenger from Jesus. So Paul means business. And rather than the, if you read Philippians or, or any of those letters, it's like, man, this is super encouraging. Rather than the warm greetings that he gives to those churches, he goes straight in. The message paraphrase written by Eugene Peter conveys this well by saying, I can't believe how you waver, how easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing an alternative message. It is not a minor variation. You know it is completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. And it sounds angry. But his anger isn't unjustified. His anger is actually really pointed toward the false teacher. He says, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, how does this deviation happen, right? How do you go from following the true gospel to being duped by false teachers? Ryan uh, talked about this a couple weeks ago when we're, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're, we're, we're given the warning to beware of false teachers who come in like wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They, it's not like, like, like they're coming with devil horns ready for you to just be like, oh, that's the false teacher. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy's for sure it, right? They, they, they have this charisma about them. 
Right? They have this way that distorts the truth. It's, it's a hint of truth, right? It's, 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 it's Jesus, but it's also Jesus plus something. And so this message is starting to spread. And it happens over time with just enough difference that you don't catch it right away. I'll go into how this happens in modern churches today to some degree. But still, uh, the writer of the New American Commentary explains the happenings like this. I don't have this on the screen, so you're going to have to bear with me. The false teachers arrived with their new message of how the Galatians could perfect the good beginning they made and move on toward a more complete salvation. Christ was still prominent in their preaching, but only as an adjunct to the law. Grace was a word they used as well, but grace for them meant simply one's natural ability to obey the laws and rights required in the Torah. This kind of gospel Paul saw as a total perversion. But the Galatian Christians, naive and immature because they were new, brand new believers, were intrigued by its promise of a more elevated spiritual status. The false teachers offered the Galatians a way to enhance and elevate their already robust spirituality. Martin Luther masterfully captured the genius of their appeal in his summary of their message. He says, Christ's a fine master. He makes the beginning, but Moses must complete the structure. The devil's nature shows itself therein. If he cannot ruin people by the wronging and persecuting them, he will do it by improving them. It's this idea that I can gain more if I just get a little bit better at this. That I'll, 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 I'll have this extra measure of spirituality if I can only do this. And this is where we see it kind of happening in modern churches. They, they were changing the gospel message. John Stott says this, that to tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try and change the gospel. Again, it's not those that are, that, are, that are coming from the outside that are the greatest threat to our Christian churches, to our, our family of believers. It's those that are inside that are trying to distort the message, that change it to where it is no longer the gospel. With his apostolic authority, Paul pronounces them anathema or cursed. He goes as, so far as to say in verses 8 and 9 that if anyone whether an angel, me, or anyone that teaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. Paul is essentially saying this. If they come in teaching another gospel, let me break it down like this. Let them face the judgment of God. Let God handle them. Let God handle that. And then Paul asks the famous question that we were reading just a while ago in verse 10. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? These false teachers had had convinced these believers in Galatia that Paul was seeking the approval of man by introducing a more palatable gospel. That this gospel that Paul preached was just to appease the people and make it easier for them to follow after God. However, the truth is the exact People who were accused Paul of doing this by introducing the law-based religion, they did this exact same thing by introducing law-based religion to appease the community and to appease the people with status. Later again in the chapter, Paul explains that if, if it were his aim to please people, 
he wouldn't be experiencing hardship or persecution. Paul is so serious about this that he confronts Peter to his face about people-pleasing when it comes to table fellowship with the Gentiles. Later on in this passage, he ate with them. Peter was eating with, with, with non-Jewish uh, followers of Jesus. But when the religious elite were present, he acted hypocritically among them. It's kind of like, yeah, that, that ain't it. This is, this is not what I'm doing. This is not going to happen. Here's where, where it gets fun for us today. And I'll close shortly. Why study the book of Galatians? Like, why dive, spend the next eight weeks diving into this? It seems like it was so long ago. Nobody's, oh, I was going to say something. I was like, hopefully nobody's asking dudes to circumcise themselves to be closer to God. Like, I don't think any, any church is doing that these days. I don't think anybody's really asking you to do a, a kosher kind of diet right now so that you might experience a little bit close, a bit of a closer relationship with Jesus. I don't think anybody's actually doing that right now, but there are hints of it in other ways that, that kind of infiltrate its way into modern churches today. The book, the book of uh, Galatians is of utmost importance today in our cultural moment because there are at least two things this, speaks, this thing speaks to. The book of Galatians speaks to our bent toward one of two things. When it comes to this idea, it's legalism and culture. When it comes to this idea of pleasing God or pleasing man, there's usually one or two, two actually bents that this kind of leans toward if, if we're not careful. Allow me to explain what this looks like in the, the vein of legalism. A lot of times we are bent towards legalism because at least in legalism we have control. We often do this, but it turns into a different gospel. It's Jesus plus something gives you whatever you need. And yet Jesus is saying what Paul's wanting to remind us of, it's Jesus plus nothing is everything. That to have Jesus himself is to have all that we need. But here's the reality that legalism often makes its way in our churches when we focus on the wrong things and make them ultimate things. Now, I'm not saying that, that to, to be a follower of Jesus is to be anti-rules. Like, that, that's not what I'm saying. I think rules are a good thing. I think disciplines are a good thing. I think practices are a good thing. But they can't be the ultimate thing that if we do more of this, let's, let's take fasting, right? Love the idea of fasting. Our, our church does fasting in February. We, we devote a month to it. But to say, like, hey, look at me, and you really need to be doing this because uh, I see your spirituality, and it, it ain't there. Like, to, to come with that kind of arrogance to some of y'all, like, actually, you did that to me. Like, uh, I did not. But, 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 but do you see what I'm saying? That they're like, well, hey, man, you really need to check on your prayer life. Uh, I, I, did, I did an hour every day this week, and I heard you only did like 15 minutes. Like, you might want to check that. And, and we, we start to do these things as ultimate things, right? And, and in certain circles, again, it could be something like Bible reading. Uh, it could be, I, I saw this all the time in college ministry, right, where, where like college students were calling each other out, and I'm like, dude, chill. Like, <laughs> they're reading the Bible, they're praying, like, they're, they're trying. Like, like let, let, let God work in that. But in other circles, it, it was like something like, I mentioned tongues a while ago, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go into that. That was my experience growing up. 
Now, some, some people are like, all about it. When I, when I talk, say tongues, like, some people are like, let's go. You start raising flags, and you're like, pull out a ram's horn, and you're ready. Uh, for others, you're like, man, where's this guy going? He's about to start, like, Shanda, and, and you're like, what is that? That's nothing. I just faked it. Uh, that's the thing. <laughs> so, 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 like, let me, let me take this for instance. Like, growing up in certain Pentecostal traditions, like, like I did, uh, this is a, a re- requirement, essentially, for salvation. It was in, in, in certain languages or in certain uh, traditions, this is the initial sign of receiving the Spirit. And without it, there is no entrance into heaven. Like, without it, there is no real walk with God. So, as an uh, inquisitive teenager, your boy right here, I was like, hey, uh, okay, I, I love Jesus. Like, I, I love Jesus. But, like, the tongue thing's not happening for me. Like, I just, like, I'm trying. I'm like, how do you, like, how do you, ha, ha, like, like, how do you do this? And so I'm like, I've, I've grown up in it. So I'm watching people, and I'm like, man, okay, I think, I think they got it. But then, like, I see them cussing out somebody later. Like, I don't know that that's the spirit of God. So it was like, but I'm going to try it. And so, so this is like full on, I, I, I'm going to edit this out of the podcast. Uh, but, but okay, so at like, as a teenager, I, I was just like, okay, well, I love Jesus, and I really want this. And I think I have a relationship with Jesus, but, but, but I don't, apparently don't have one unless I, I do this. And so if you grew up in this tradition, like, the, they would do like an altar call. Anybody know what an altar call is? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, so an altar call is like, hey, like at the end of the service, everybody come to the front. They're going to lay hands. Like if you, if you want to receive Jesus, and, and in this particular church, it's like if you want to speak in tongues. As I was like, well, I don't know that I, I can. Like I, I've always read in the scripture as a gift, but I'm going to do it. So I'm going to go. I'm like, so I make my way, and, and I got my hands up, you know, and I'm like, red, like, Lord, just lay this thing on me. I've seen it on TV. Like people are just falling. Uh, they just lay hands. I've seen TV where they're like blowing on people like, and they're like falling. And I was like, I don't know that I'm ready for all that. Uh, but if this is what it is, then I, then I, I want it. Like, and this is like a, a sincere place. Like, so, so I joke about it, but it was also like very sincere as a 13, 14-year-old. So I go, <laughs> Sarah's in the back. Like, she's heard me uh, give this spiel before. Uh, <laughs> so I go, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I want you. I, I want to go to heaven. Like, I want a relationship with Jesus. And I think I have one, but this is what they're saying. So I go, and I'm getting prayed for. And I don't know what's happening around me. People are crying. People are yelling. There's like, and I hear somebody say, just let your tongue loose. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But like, okay. So I'm like, <laughs> and I hear somebody say, just say sha la 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 la. So I'm like, okay, sha la 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 la. And the guy goes, that's it. That's the spirit. And I'm like, no, that's not. <laughs> that, that is not. I just made that up. Like I was just repeating. But and, and, and I remember, like they were laying hands on me and trying to like knock me down. And I'm like not falling. And I'm like watching everybody else around. And and it just was not happening for me. It's funny, but I walked away thinking that I didn't actually have a real relationship with Jesus. That something was wrong with me. Because I had Jesus, but I didn't have this other thing. That I had Jesus, but there was something about me that didn't let me obtain this level of spirituality. 
So I walked away thinking I don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. This is how legalism creeps its way into our churches. Again, I, I use the example of tongues, but, but for some, I, I mentioned a, a conversation I had this, this last week where some churches are like, hey, give me your tax record so I can make sure you're tithing the right amount. If not, you, you, can't, you can't be here. These are things that are contrary to the gospel. We slowly believe things without questioning the religious. Right? We have to weigh what you hear against God's word. I want to encourage us today that, that, that just because Ryan and I or, or people that we bring in are with, have a microphone and preaching, that doesn't mean much. Like what we say, what we stand on means nothing if it's not backed by the word of God. And we want to, to tell every person to, to take what we say and, and put it against the Bible and see if it lines up. And if it doesn't, say, hey, man, like, could we have a conversation? Like, you said this, and, and I'm not sure, like, this is lining up. And, and there's some times where we, we might get it wrong. And we need to confess that before our, our, our church family. But we have to weigh it against the scriptures. Here's another thing, culture. We tend to want to please people and not ruffle feathers regarding belief. We know that some teachings are hard in the scriptures in certain areas that our culture does not align with. So we skirt around the issues. We tend, in doing so, to, to not please God. We say things like, well, I know the Bible says, but I think, and we assert God's wisdom and authority to make Christianity more palatable to those outside the world. And in so doing, we distort the teachings and message of Jesus. Here's the truth is that we are enslaved to both legalism and the pleasing of cultures. And what Jesus wants to do is offer us freedom from both. Jesus wants freedom for us. Galatians 5, 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He doesn't want us enslaved to either legalism or to the culture at large. What he wants for us is him, himself. And Paul masterfully uses his play on words to express that a yoke that binds an animal, but a yoke is also a set of teaching. Paul is saying, don't go back to the teachings that enslaved you. The truth is this, that really and truly following Jesus puts us at odds with both the religious and the cultural norm. That we're not really fitting into either category really well. There are people probably thinking like, our church downtown is like, man, y'all are wilding out. And we're like, well, maybe sometimes. But, uh, but there's no way that, like, that truly following Jesus, you're not going to appease both parties. Jesus wants freedom for us. And too many people in church are living like slaves when Jesus wants freedom for your soul. So how do we move from here? I'm going to ask the band to come back up. How do we take this set of teachings of, am I trying to please God? What does my life look like? What does my, my, my religious fervor look like? What does my spirituality look like? Ask yourself that question. Am I aiming to please God or am I seeking the approval of man? Am I aiming to please God or am I seeking the approval of man? Ask yourself this question, are there beliefs that I have that don't align with God's word and distort the message 
of the gospel? Are there beliefs that I have that don't align with God's word and distort the message of the gospel? Think through this idea. Are there any areas of my life that legalism has crept into that I need to surrender to God and experience the freedom found in Christ? Ask yourself, is, the, the, is my walk with Jesus, does that even look like freedom or am I just kind of doing this out of I need to or I, 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 I want, I'm doing this so that God will love me more. I'm doing this so that God will give me and we fill in the blank with whatever we need. Or do you f- truly have freedom in Jesus? Do you truly know that, that when you come to Jesus that all that is required is faith in him trust in him, that he indeed is Lord and that he would be the Lord of your life, that that he has forgiven you from every sin, past, present, and future, that Jesus loves you just as you are, but loves you enough to not leave you that way, that we don't have to come to him perfectly clean with all the boxes checked, but that we just come to him with a humble and repentant heart, and he accepts us in that moment. That when, when we have faith in Jesus, we are justified in who he is and what he has done on the cross. We don't need to the, add to the work of Jesus. It is finished on the cross. So I want to give us a moment just to rest in the love of Jesus. For you to know that you are free in Christ that we don't have to add any works or we don't have to add law to what we're doing. That it is by faith we have been set free. I'll give you a few moments.